Good morning, church. Our first scripture reading comes from Isaiah 58, reading verses 2 through 9. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions, then seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the fast that I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. And the second scripture reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke, reading chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an, in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place for my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, church, it seems funny now. It seems funny now that some of us began this Lenten journey willing to give up chocolate or Netflix, meat or social media. Some of us began this Lenten journey planning to give up nothing at all, and I hope as we introduce this sermon series to you that you were open to giving something up, giving more up, considering the things that God might be requiring of us to give up in our lives entirely, things like bitter arguments and unjust actions. I suspect, though, that none of us were prepared to give up nearly as much as we have in the last week, as we will yet in the coming weeks. Some of us have lost jobs, forgone social engagements, missed important celebrations. Some of us have become bereft of any peace of mind we might have had about our future. And I'm sure 
it's true for you as it was for me that the words of Isaiah 58 rung more deeply in our ears as we heard them once more this morning. They ask me for just decisions, seem eager for God to come near them. Friends, surely we are eager for God to come near to us, eager for God's justice in this situation, longing for God to move in a powerful way to protect the sick and the vulnerable, to stay the worst of this virus, to restore to us the very rhythms of life which we now find ourselves without. The prayer of lament that we shared together this morning continues to be our cry out to God in the midst of this crisis. And as we pray that prayer, we are challenged to look with eyes of faith to see how God might be present to us in these troubling times. In what ways can God move in a world of social distancing and self-isolation? In what ways has God come near to God's people in times of trouble in the past, even in plagues and pandemics as we see today? Where is God? And what might God be saying to us in all these things? It makes me wonder, with all the unwilling giving up that we've each done, if there is yet an opportunity to consider the things that we ought not return to when this crisis passes, the things God desires us to still give up going forward, to hear in this scripture and to continue to meditate in this Lenten season on the kinds of lives our God insists that we leave, lead, I believe that the kinds of lives that our God insists that we lead are remarkably similar, pandemic or no pandemic. And so if we can learn new ways of being in the hard situation that we find ourselves in, then we might also find that those new habits and the virtues which they represent form our hearts and our minds for many years to come. This week, we'll consider how God calls us to fast from selfishness and to live into actions of generosity. Last week, as we talked about the chains of injustice, we talked about many of the news stories of people stockpiling supplies, panic buying groceries, profiteering from the resale of hand sanitizer, and how all of these things are actions of great injustice. And we named together that the wicked do not prosper, though it seems that they often do. And that rather than try to ensure our survival and success by participating in wickedness, by stepping on the backs of our neighbors, We are instead called, even in the most difficult times, to love our neighbors as ourselves. This week, we have an opportunity to consider how selfishness has actually always been present in our lives. The selfishness which we have exhibited when there was no threat looming, and how that is something we ought to choose to give up in these days and seek to refrain from returning to in the coming seasons. To do this, we turn to Jesus' teaching in Luke's Gospel. We hear Jesus tell a story about a certain rich man with an abundant harvest, and he has a problem, and it's a kind of wonderful problem. He has too much. He can't actually store all this crop that he's amassed. This is like winning the lottery and not knowing how to manage that kind of money. This is starting a business and not being able to keep up with all the orders. This is starting a ministry and outgrowing the space where that ministry meets. This is an amazing, life-altering problem to have. So just like many people do when they imagine winning the lottery, this rich man begins to dream a dream. He dreams a dream about how he'll tear down his barns and build bigger ones to secure his windfall, 
that he'll have grains for years and years, and he'll take life easy. He'll retire early. He'll eat, drink, and be merry. This doesn't seem to be an unreasonable dream. Which of us hasn't dreamt of early retirement, wouldn't leap at the chance if we had it? Who among us hasn't had a surprisingly large tax return and chosen to save up for a nicer vacation or to buy that piece of technology that we've been longing for? Most of us, I suspect, can relate to this certain rich man. But then a curious thing happens in the story. God breaks in. Unexpectedly, God arrives. God comes near, even as we are longing for. And God reveals that there isn't going to be time for all that eating, drinking, and being merry. That somebody else will, after all, enjoy the very things this man was setting aside for himself. That his selfishness, his intention to use this massive harvest to retire early, will amount to nothing. Nothing for him. Nothing in this life. Nothing in the next. As St. Augustine said in his sermon on this passage, the man was planning to fill his soul with excessive and unnecessary feasting and and was proudly disregarding the empty bellies of the poor. He did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. Friends, it strikes me that we are now realizing that some of the barns that we've been building over the last number of years may be very much more unsafe than we ever thought they were, especially in these present days. Those with investments have seen the nosedive, and they've heard whispers of recession, of depression, of who knows what will come next. Was every dollar we invested a necessary expense? Was any of it selfishly hoarded in a bigger storehouse when it could have been used to help the poor and the needy. Or for those of us who have saved to enjoy as many of the luxuries of life as we can, where is that getting us in these days? We cannot travel as we had hoped. We cannot eat out as we often do. Our plans to maximize our enjoyment have been met with an unhappy revelation in our lives that there will be no time for the very things we had set our hearts on. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with investing or saving or vacations, certainly not feasting, maybe not even retiring early. But there is always the question of our motives. Why are we doing the things that we're doing? And are we doing these things to be good stewards of God's resources? Or are we simply fools who value ourselves above the needs of our neighbors? And is God asking us a question again in these situations? Who will enjoy what we have prepared for ourselves? Is it still going to be just us? I know what some would say to all this. Some would point out that the crop in the parable was the man's to begin with, and it was his to do with as he pleased. Just as each of our wealth, resources, time, gifts, and talents, we might say are also ours to do with as we please. This may be so, but we claim to worship and to follow one who, in the book of Philippians, it says, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That is, he was unselfish in his divinity. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, selfishness ended a long time ago on a cross, when the only person who had any claim to anything, who could have justifiably kept something to himself, even his own life, chose to humble himself, chose to submit to death. Selfishness itself died. But we're still learning that lesson. We are still on the road to the cross, still needing to choose to give up selfishness and to realize that its rotting stench is making our lives no better at all. I believe that selfishness at its core is about forgetting our mortality. Selfishness forgets that there will be an end to us that we have no say over. Selfishness puts our survival, our comfort, our future success ahead of the needs of our neighbors. We plan for vacations that we may never take, retirements that may never come, all the while starving our brother or sister of food that they could have now. The abundant harvest of the certain rich man was not meant for his enjoyment alone. It was meant for him to be rich towards God. This is in fact what Jesus says the point of his parable is at the end of Luke's gospel, that this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. And so this should raise the question for us, what is it to be rich toward God? Is this about giving as much as we can to the church? Is this the church saying that we still want and need your money? God says what being rich towards God is, and he tells us in Isaiah 58. God says, is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them, and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Along with this, we do well to remember what Jesus told us, that the king will judge in this way, that I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. For truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. If we are selfish, we do not only deny our brothers and sisters the things that they need, we deny God the very things that are due to him. And if we deny God the things that are God's, it must be because we do not believe in a God who will judge. It must be because we have a functional atheism through which we live out our lives. Or it could be because we believe we are equal to God, that through acts of selfishness or self-preservation, we can avoid whatever fate might befall us that we really have forgotten that death comes to us each in a way that we cannot control. This is why the season of Lent begins with Ash Wednesday's simple reminder that we are dust, and to dust we will return. Because if we remember that we are mortal, we can remember as well that there is no promise of tomorrow, that the bigger storehouse may still be being built before we have a chance to use it that the change in our lives that we'd always been meaning to make is best begun today, even in these troubling times, rather than at some other time that may never be. And that the resources that we have at our disposal cannot guarantee anything other than what we can use them to guarantee today. It's been amazing 
to see the eruption of generosity offered to neighbors in this time. The development of caremongering, the Good Neighbor Project, and neighborhood groups like our own Harvard Village Residents Association organizing neighbors to care for neighbors. These are simple actions of love, all springing up in a time when we are being reminded most acutely of our own mortality. If these kinds of things aren't happening where you are, if you don't know your neighbors, what an opportunity you have. It could be as simple as printing out a slip of paper that says, hey, you know, I'm embarrassed that it took me so long to introduce myself, but my name is Nick and I'm your neighbor in Unit 325. And if there's anything that you need in this season of social distancing, I'd be happy to help you if I'm able to. And just leaving that in their mailbox or by their door. Because our challenge as the church is certainly to participate in this good wave of generosity and concern for others, but it's not only that. It's also to allow it to shape us for the many coming days. That these kinds of initiatives should not be things which are only beginning when disaster is at our door. Though surely, just like finally introducing ourselves to our neighbors, it is better late than never. Rather, these are the kinds of things that it means to be the church. That this is how Christians behave when there's an abundant harvest and when we have concerns for our jobs and for our health. That compassion and generosity are always to be our posture towards our world. The 200 Acts of Blessing campaign we launched only a few weeks ago is, at its heart, meant to highlight the ways that our church has consistently been a blessing to the city. And we can only do that kind of blessing work or be that kind of blessing people when we choose to give up selfishness. Certainly we must do that in these hard days, but also in the days when it feels like you know there are no consequences for the little extra I'll squirrel away. To remember that even in times of plenty, we are being challenged by God to be rich towards God by being generous to the needs of our neighbors. Because who knows what disaster might fall upon the earth. God is our ever-present help in trouble. And that God who is ever-present in trouble invites us to use the gifts and resources we have to join in being help to others in time of trouble. In times of universal trouble, as we know today, and in times of trouble in the lives of those around us. Even when it feels as though tremendous fortune has befallen us and we can make plans for bigger storehouses, that we can now live a better version of our lives. To remember the invitation of our God to be generous, to follow the way of Jesus, which is a way that embraces death to ourselves for the sake of others. All the while knowing that no fortune or goods that we amass will benefit us at all if they're not used in the cause of love, of caring for the least of these brothers and sisters of Christ, in showing compassion with our God who selfish, selflessly came to us as a servant. Church, the promise of our God is that compassion alone follows us. May it follow us in each of the neighborhoods we find ourselves in this morning and follow us from this time of tragedy into the many seasons that are yet to come. May the compassion that we learn, even in the face of sickness and disease and death, be compassion that transforms us all and changes our church, all for God's glory and for the good of all who God loves. Amen. I'm going to invite you to, to a time of quiet reflection wherever you are to meditate on these words and hear how the Holy Spirit might be challenging you and challenging our church, how you are being invited to be generous and compassionate in these days 
as well as in your life beyond this pandemic.